I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to The Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday, everybody. We are recording this on Monday, March 27, 2023. On the verge of April, post-spring break, everything's coming up roses. On a snowy, snowy day. Yeah, what the fuck was that about? I don't know. Did you know it was coming? No clue. I left the house this morning not looking outside in capris to go to the gym (laughs) and was welcomed to four inches of snow on my driveway. Yeah. It definitely caught me by surprise. I thought about you this morning. I as well went to the gym, not quite as early as you. I was getting ready at 6.30, and I was like, I think she's already there. (laughs) She's already doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I was. It was a rough one today. That's gross. (laughs) No. But I'm proud of you. That's great that you have uh, that commitment because I just started and I was going to go back to bed. I did. After I took a shower when I got home, I definitely (laughs) laid back down. I was so exhausted. I love it because so my husband gets up at 540 every morning to go to the gym, but he doesn't always make it. He makes it out of the bed and downstairs, but will fall asleep on the couch, (laughs) which I'm like, that's 90% is just getting out of bed, right? Like you made it out of bed. Yeah. Like why not go? But I can always tell when that happens because one of the dogs always who sleeps with us always goes downstairs with him. And then she'll come back up to me when he leaves. But I woke up and she wasn't there. And I went downstairs and I'm like, God, didn't make it, did you? He's like, God damn this blanket. It's so comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Gets you every time. <laughs> every time. Uh, before we jump into the episode, quick shout out. We have a new Patreon subscriber. Get out. Who? Welcome, Will, a.k.a. my dad. <laughs> <laughs> this is our first family member to join. So that's good. Oh, is that true? It is. Yeah. I got to talk to my family. <laughs> what the hell are they doing? They're sleeping on us. Don't forget, you all could join as well. We're over at patreon.com slash nonprofit reframe. We are still in the midst of our book club. We just recorded that episode and uh, it's bleak, but you should join us. (laughs) It's super fucking depressing, but you should totally pay $3 a month and join us. (laughs) Uh, Well, at least we're not afraid to have the hard conversations. Yeah, there you go. So what are we talking about today, speaking of hard conversations? A perfect segue into complicity. Mm, Yay. So many places this could go. Uh, Seriously. And I think for me, this came about because we often talk about like the toxic board members or the racist staff members. But there is always a bystander that we're not really addressing. That's the complicity that I want to talk about. Like the board who ignores the dick jokes. Right. For a very specific example that I've experienced in my life. Right. The people who let the super toxic board chair run things into the ground and leaves instead of addressing it. Right. I think we've probably all been complicit to some level. So let's just talk about it. Yeah, for sure. And let's talk about like how we get past that. Absolutely. So where's a good place to start? I say we start with the big stuff. Like sexual harassment, sexual assault. Go we're, just ju- we're just jumping right in. Yeah. This obviously is a tricky subject. Not tricky. 
tricky is not the right word. It's a difficult subject. And for those who don't want to listen, jump ahead like three, four minutes. You should be clear of this. I just don't want you to have to listen to something that's going to be harmful to your mental health. But we know sexual harassment, sexual assault happens a lot, especially to fundraisers. And we also know a lot of boards that uh, sweep that shit under the rug. I would say boards and staff, just leadership in general. I pulled one specific case uh, so we could talk about that. Did you follow the Humane Society of the U.S. and their downfall a few years back? I mean, I, I guess I know of it, but I don't know that much of it. Oh, my God. I did not know the ins and outs and how deep this spread. So we're talking like 2018, actually like 2017 to 2019. But 2018 was when like Politico released an investigative report on it. Oh. And it was deep. I mean, it was VP, CEO. It was all over the place. It was bored being complicit. Like they knew these allegations had come forward and kept people on payroll and kept people in positions. Really, really nasty stuff. Even like going to the defense of the CEO prior to their resignation. Oh, shit. Yeah. And this is like, I mean, obviously, there are so many nuances to talking about sexual assault, especially in a workplace environment. And there are so many things about a workplace culture that can lead to that, which is why like when I say board members making dick jokes and it not going addressed, like that's a symptom. Yeah, totally. That's a sign that like this stuff will not be taken seriously, that the right steps will not be taken. Absolutely. Oxfam, our buddies over at Oxfam. Yeah. It came out that several of their leaders were pain victims of the Haitian earthquakes for sex while working there. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Just just a few little organizations dotted across the landscape. Tiny little ones. Oh, that's so horrible. Yeah. And again, you know, like, there were people who knew. There are people who let it slide. There are people who probably even encouraged it. Right. To have had multiple leaders at both of these organizations do this shit, there was a culture of complicity. Well, absolutely. And I mean, those are like very extreme and very black and white, right? And then there are the moments that we talk about all the time as fundraisers when you're in that power dynamic with a donor and you're working in a place that very much has subscribed to the scarcity mindset and puts the donor above anything and everyone else. And there is that feeling of, well, I can't say anything because if I do, then either they won't believe me, they won't have my back, or I do say something and it's met with, well, you know, that's just how old white men are. Yep. And you just have to ignore it, whatever that might be. And those things add up too over and over and over again to, again, creating this atmosphere where that that's deemed okay. And it escalates. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've shared this story publicly, but this feels like mm-hmm. the right time to do it. So young fundraiser, I was at our gala, work in the room, as you do. And a, a large donor kind of approaches me, we're in the hallway, and he grabbed my ass. And I brought it to our executive director, who did exactly what you just said. Oh, he didn't mean it. Oh, you probably misunderstood. Oh, this, that, and the other. Oh, he's a big donor. Like, let's not blow this out of proportion, Nia. And I left the organization two weeks later. That's so fucked up. Yeah. I'm sorry that that was your experience. Thanks. And unfortunately, a really common one. 
Like I, I'm nowhere unique whatsoever in the sector. And I think I've told it on the show before. The show. The show. This podcast. The show. <laughs> <laughs> this pod. But, you know, I had it where this donor who had given an in-kind gift to the organization for the live auction, he gave a yacht. Oh, yeah. I love like story. A, a liveaboard yacht. And so it was like a week-long liveaboard trip on his yacht down in the Caribbean. And then he sold the yacht <laughs> after we had sold the package and said, don't worry, um, I'm just going to give you $3,500 and you could just buy another liveaboard from another company that's down there. And I was like, no, no, we're not doing that. That's not going to happen. Uh -uh. So anyways, part of this story is a back and forth between a donor trying to use us as a pass through and just to get his tax deduction. And I finally got told him to get his tax advisor on the phone, yada, yada, yada. But the second part of the story is that he then looks at me and he says, well, you know, I sold the yacht, but they actually don't take ownership of it for three more weeks. And it's down in the Caribbean right now. And I'm looking for somebody to go with me to do one last cruise on it, if you're interested. Oh, God. Dude is like 80 years old. That doesn't even matter, though. Even if he was remotely around my age, it's still unbelievably inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And it made me feel uncomfortable. And I looked at him and I just was like, uh, no. And I think I said something about like, I don't think my husband would appreciate that. Or I don't know. Because you're, you're like put on the spot, right? Mm hmm I tell my leadership, yes, they were supportive, but there was no like, okay, so we're no longer going to take money from him. Right. Right. Exactly. It's like they, they'll say the nice things to your face, but they're not going to take the action that threatens funding. Right. They're not, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And of course, like you never have to talk to him alone again or something like that. But there's no kind of like, oh my gosh, that's so inappropriate. We're going to call and call him on it mm -hmm. and tell him that he's no longer welcome as a donor here. Yeah. They would never do that. No. It's interesting because both of these examples that you and I are giving are like, Issues addressed with staff who you assume would like have our backs more than the board even. Right. Anyway, I found this this article from the nonprofit quarterly and I'll make sure to link it. But it's about conversations boards should have about sexual mis misconduct. And they give three specific questions boards should be having. And it's interesting because I can think of very few times I've heard these come up in boardrooms. Number one, are we doing it enough to provide leadership guidance to the staff about organizational values, policies and expectations? That's where, like, you would hope that the values conversations were so significant and so explicit that when it came down to, do we keep this donor? Do we keep stewarding him? Do we keep having him engage with staff? Our values would dictate no, and staff would be empowered to go do something about it. Right. Yeah. Number two, what do we know about how our chief executive is leading the staff, and how do we know that? Ooh, that's so good. Right? Such a good question. That's so good. I love the how do we know that piece. Yep. So do I. Because how many times have you walked into a place where even just like an annual performance review isn't happening? Yeah. And if it is, it's not It's not even done with the staff involved. Yeah. It's just like with the CEO and the board. I love that. I'm sure we've we've mentioned this at some point, but it is ridiculous. Like usually like the board chair is leading the evaluation. Maybe the executive committee is involved. But you've got these people who get this tiny little snapshot 
of what's happening in the organization, maybe once a month, and then a self-report, a self-assessment from your chief executive. And that's how we're doing evaluations in most organizations. What the fuck? That would never fly anywhere else. I know. Well, and then that's why it's not until half the staff leaves before the board's like, oh, maybe there's something going on internally. Right. Right. <laughs> like, now it's too late. Yeah. And then the third question they recommend is, how are we as a board ensuring that we are not part of the problem? So having open conversations about board misconduct and what is to be done if those arise. Like, let's have that conversation in advance of needing to use it. Yes. Because there's nothing worse than like something bad happening and the board scrambling to be like, we don't have a procedure around this. And then they get all tizzied up creating that instead of actually addressing the misconduct. Tizzied up. Tizzied up. Yep. I'm going to trademark that. Talking about pervasive incentives and expectations and the board composition and leadership, right? Like if we are not having conversations and ensuring that we are not part of the problem, then we probably are. We probably are complicit as a board. Well, and even so within that, I feel like there's board members that are just like, well, but I'm not like an officer of the board. Mm -hmm. So it's really not my place to say anything. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it puts the onus on the CEO or the ED to manage Mm -hmm. that. Right. And the, and, and the board is their boss. Yeah. So they're essentially, I had this conversation the other day with a board member She was like, well, we've been working with this consultant. So now the ED at least has the language and we've all heard it. So she can use that language with the board to remind them of what our role is. And I said, yeah, but you're her boss. And so that requires her to manage up, right? Mm -hmm. She's like, well, yeah, I guess. And I go, what great would it be if she had somebody on the board at the same level Yeah. Who could do that? That would be like that power dynamic shifts, right? Yep. And now all of a sudden, then she has an ally on the board to help hold the board accountable. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be her job to do that. Exactly. Like that peer role of calling out is so powerful. And we don't have enough board members who feel comfortable doing it. Well, and again, again, right? It always boils down. I'm getting all fired up. It all. It always boils down to power dynamics. Yes. And it's so stupid because they're mm-hmm. like, again, like, well, but I'm just a measly board member. Like, how am I supposed to say that to the board chair? They are your peer. Yeah. Speak up. Say fucking something. Say something. Because otherwise you're expecting essentially like they're, what do I want to say? Like, like the ED is not going to do it. That's such a horrible position for the ED to be put in. Right. And yet they do it all the time mm-hmm. at risk and with the whole time worried that they're going to lose their job. Yep. Again, another really specific example from my experience. Uh, I was serving on a board and there was some pretty significant sexism happening pretty regularly. Like women would be relegated to taking notes. Women would be relegated to like organizing things and the men could just sit there and have discussions. Which side note, if you're a board member listening to this, take stock of who puts their hand up to be secretary. And if it's all women, you probably have a fucking culture of sexism. Yeah. Sorry, that's not what this episode is about. But (laughs) anyway, so like things would happen regularly and the incoming board chair wanted to interview every board member and just get a sense of like what was going on in the board and like how he could help 
lead it better. And so I brought it up to him and I gave like specific examples when that had happened. And he goes, yeah, I, I, I did see that happening. I'm sorry, you fucking saw it happening and did nothing? Yeah. And now you're going to be the fucking board chair. Awesome. Love that for all the women sitting around this table. It happens all the time. Yeah. All the time. Should we talk about like racism and microaggressions? Absolutely. (laughs) Again, all the fucking time. All the time. This is not my story, but I have permission to share it. This is from a colleague of mine who I do a lot of training with on DEI topics, especially for boards. And she regularly tells this story about coming into a board meeting space and immediately being called out for like timeliness in front of everybody. Like you're late? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Exactly. That kind of thing. Yeah. Which is really important to recognize from a cultural perspective, like where some of us have a different, a genuinely different concept of time because of our culture. There was one instance she'll talk about where like some board member was hosting like a house party and talked about her Mexican gardeners and how great they were and like kept having to describe their nationality and how they were like the good ones. Mm -hmm. While my friend, a Latina, is sitting there feeling like she's about two inches tall. Yeah. It happens, again, all the time, which is why, generally speaking, most boardrooms of nonprofits are not a safe space for people of color. The ones who are able to sit on boards are because they've assimilated, because they have a ton of self-care and community outside that boardroom, and they can code switch. Right. For sure. Well, I think along a similar vein, I think of also when we're talking to maybe as volunteers or donors, and they speak disparagingly about the people that we serve and work with. Mm Mm-hmm. And where us as fundraisers can break that complicity. Yes. Like we've been taught to make donors feel comfortable. And so that would mean going along with it, downplaying the comments. That's complicity. If we stop and take a moment to educate, to call them into the conversation differently, we can break that. Yes. And that's a really a, a shift I would really like to see in the sector at the very least, but with fundraisers, is starting to view ourselves as someone who can educate, right? And by educating your donor and pushing back on some of the things that they're saying doesn't mean that you're being argumentative or mm-hmm. combative or anything. You're just trying to educate them that that's not how so much of what we're doing now in fundraising around strengths-based, asset-based, asset framing, like we need to be educating our donors in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I got so fired up telling the microaggression story that I I missed the like, what about it? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. That was on me. In all of those instances, Nobody said anything. Nobody said anything. There was a white yes. person in the room who could have stopped it, who could have said something, who who could have been the shield between that racist and the woman of color on the board. If we truly want to make inclusive spaces, we have to be braver. Like, that's my call for white people. Let's be braver. I love that. 
but I'm saying it to myself because you and I sat in a meeting one time where someone started talking about, she was giving a presentation and she was talking about taking one for the team by going to a Cinco de Mayo party and drink too much tequila. You know what I'm talking about. Yep. Yep. And we could have been braver in that moment too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think for me, it's this constant calculation of like how best to call in. And right. I I definitely fuck it up a lot. But the, the thing that I've come back to, and there was a trainer who told me this, was at least do something. If you missed it in the moment, follow up with the person. If you, you don't feel like you can do that, follow up with an organizer. Like do something, even if you miss the moment. Yeah, I like that. I had two back-to-back meetings last week with white men. I mean, right there, you should just know I had a bad day. <laughs> Do we have any white male listeners? Your dad, <laughs> who just joined her Patreon. <laughs> you know, I could deal with them in small doses, but especially yeah. when it's like a one-on-one meeting and I'm not like good friends with them, I know I'm going to be doing a lot of work. Yeah. That just goes without saying. So the first one was a lunch meeting. We had a great conversation. And then ended with me having to defend CCF for like a good 15 minutes. That doesn't surprise me. And just like why this would be even relevant to him as he sits on nonprofit boards and he's a philanthropist. Then I go to my next meeting with a white man who's a consultant. And uh, he was talking about a new like service he was looking to provide and that he he needed a woman of color. He just kept saying that. I need a woman of color. I know that. I'm, I'm an old white guy. I need a woman of color. And... I, I finally found the way to like say, hey, it sounds like you're tokenizing pretty significantly. And he was like, well, how do I not do that? Because I know I need a woman of color. <laughs> and I was like, okay, why do you need a woman of color besides just to like balance out your identity? Right. And so we spent a good like half an hour untangling that and like why diversity is relevant. Why diversity is relevant. Like, that yeah. Was- conversation we had to have. Why is it important? And it took half an hour. Yeah. I mean, again, it's just like you got to find a way to start the conversation. Yeah, exactly. Because if I hadn't said something, you know, he would have been out there emailing women of color trying to get them to join this project with no awareness. Right. Right. Yeah. Be brave. Be fucking brave. Be brave. Do something in the moment. Yeah. I love that. All right. Um, I do have one last little thing that I pulled for us. That's why I'm staring at you because I have a feeling you have something. Just one little thing. We don't often call out other consultants. Mm. but Wait, calling them out? Calling them in? Uh, calling out because this isn't a conversation. She can't respond to us. <laughs> <laughs> and she's big enough where I doubt she will ever listen to our podcast. You ever heard of Joan Gary? Uh-huh. Of course. Yeah, everybody has, right? Yeah. Joan Gary, popular consultant. She's got a podcast even. But I happened to come across this blog post called My Racist Board Vice Chair. And it's, you know, like a Dear Abby kind of thing. Somebody wrote in talking about their vice chair, posting something on social media that was racist. What should they do? Do we need a social media policy? Blah, blah, blah. And Joan's response, let me just read part of it. Okay. My first reaction to this question is simply, ugh, I do not envy you in the slightest, but these are tough decisions to make here. Are they? And Ugg? Right. Ugg is the best Ugg. you can come up with? Right. Ooh. Like, ugh, I don't want to be dealing with this. 
That's exactly the tone that I had in my mind as I was reading this. Yeah. Much more yeah. like, uh, this is such an inconvenience. Yeah, this is such an inconvenience. Yeah. And then it goes on and is like, you know, you need to bring this to the board chair so that they can address it. And ideally, the person who wrote the things would accept how problematic they were and be willing to adopt a code of conduct. If not, she should be asked to step down. To step down? Not fucking fired? Right. Are you kidding me? Right. And then I'll just read this last. This is Joan's closing statement. She may be a high performer, but if not held accountable, the board member you described may be a high performer in the short term, but a racist board member will certainly become a liability to the organization in the long term. Liability. She says she's cared, she cares more about the liability than the harm. Right. I, again, exactly what I thought. So uh, this is a call out to consultants to be better. Yeah. Like, we can also be really complicit in this shit, too. That's so true. And then when we're not, like, you got to be prepared, right? Yeah. I had something the last couple of weeks, and I'm like, I they might not like me for this. They might cancel my contract. And if that's the case, then it's probably meant to be. Yep. <sighs> it, it's, it's hard striving to be better every day. And for all of our white listeners out there, it's what we got to do. Yeah. For our listeners of color, I hope you can find co-conspirators and allies in your organization who can take some of these blows so you don't have to. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That's it. If you're pissed off at me, email us, nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. <laughs> find us on Facebook and Instagram at Nonprofit Reframe and join our Patreon. Have a good one. Bye. Don't forget to become a Patreon subscriber for behind-the-scenes content starting at only $3 a month. Learn more at patreon.com slash nonprofit reframe. We would like to thank our sponsors. Brittany Wilson Consulting helps nonprofits raise even more money through fundraising coaching, training, and event production. Learn more at brittanywilson.com. That's B-R-I-T-T-N-Y Wilson.com. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based consulting firm working towards social good in all sectors through fundraising, board governance, strategy, and planning, and equity support. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thanks for listening. 